Praise the Lord. So we're in a series that we started uh, two weeks ago. Pastor Dan started. Uh, we are here to change the world. How many want to change the world? Uh, you know, the world we live in. We need to change the world. Amen. This world needs Jesus. Uh, the scripture we're using is for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the very beginning of time. One of God's plans for us is to change the world. Pastor Dan started again, like I said, two weeks ago. Uh, he started with my story can change the world, talking about our testimony, that each and every one of us has a story, has a testimony, has something uh, that God has done in our life. And I want to continue on where he left off. And what my title of my, my uh, message this evening is, My Invitation Can Change the World. And when I talk about my invitation, it is, is, is uh, making the invitation to Jesus by witnessing, by talking to people one-on-one -on -one to let them know what Jesus has done in our lives, to take the testimony, our testimony, and share with them. So I want to look at some things concerning witnessing, but also how my invitation can change the world. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus is speaking here to the disciples. He's getting ready to go to take his place next to the Father. And he says in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. He says, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus says that we will be his witnesses. And we're going to be his witnesses by telling people about me everywhere. He says we're going to tell people about him everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the, in the ends of the earth. Jesus says you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell others your testimony, your story. You're going to share them, and you're going to make that invitation to bring them to me. Witnessing is telling others about the love, the forgiveness, the deliverance, the fruitful life that we have found in Jesus. And when we have that, we give the invitation for others to receive him. The word witness is commonly used to refer to people who saw, who knew, who experienced something, which is Jesus. Uh, and it's their opening declaration where they're able to testify and share that. We look in 1 John chapter 1. The writer John says, We proclaim to you the one who exists from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus here whom we have heard and seen. He's talking about we have heard him, we have seen him, we have saw him, we saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who it is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him and now we testify and proclaim. We are testifying, we're proclaiming. We are letting him know that we are witnesses of him to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son Christ. We are writing you these things so that you may fully share in our joy. He's making the invitation. He says, this is our invitation to you. We are witnesses that Jesus is real. We've seen him for ourselves. We touched him. We heard everything he did. We've seen everything he did. And now this is our invitation to you. Is we have great joy because of that, and we want you to share in that same joy. We want to experience the same joy that we have through him. The first thing I want to look at is our commission. The commission is an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or a group of people. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, and Jesus is talking to the disciples here, and he says, and Jesus came and told his disciples, he says, I've given you all authority in heaven and earth. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he also says, teach these new disciples 
to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of age. And we see Jesus giving a commission here saying, go out and make disciples. In Mark chapter 16, it says again, he says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is Jesus' command, this is Jesus' commission to us, that as believers, as followers, as witnesses of his, we should share our story. We should share our testimony of what Christ has done in our lives. To tell people, you know what, at one time I was lost, I was empty, I was lonely, I was broken, I was hurting, but Jesus came into my life. We were able to share that testimony and story, and we could tell others and make that invitation that they would believe in Christ and they would also be saved themselves. Because Jesus saved us, and we were able to share that with others through our testimony, through our invitation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. But he says, but how can they call in him to save them unless they believe in him? How are they going to call unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How are they believe in somebody that they've never heard about? And he says, how can they hear about him unless someone tells him or tells them? See, when we read these scriptures, we need to take this personal. We need to personalize this to ourselves. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I believe every, each and every one of us, we're praying and believing for our prodigals to come back to Jesus. We're believing for our family members, even co-workers, neighbors, friends. We're believing that they will call upon the name of the Lord. But Paul writes, he says, but how can they call on him when they've never even heard of him? And this is why Jesus commissioned us to say it's up to us to tell them, to let them know that, hey, you know what? Jesus can change your life. Jesus can do a miracle in your life. Jesus can get involved in whatever it is you're doing, and he can turn it around, and you can have the, the, your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because we are believing and making that invitation to him. Second thing is there's no time to wait. The Holy Spirit deals with us to witness to people. You know, God gives us opportunity to make that invitation to, 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 to know Christ. You know, each and every one of us, even right now, God's dealing with, you know, there's somebody that, you know, you should be talking to, whether it be, you know, family member, co-worker, uh, you know, maybe your neighbors that, you know, the Holy Spirit's dealing with you to share your story, to share your testimony, to make that invitation to Christ. But like so many of us, we always find ourselves saying, well, you know, I don't have time right now. I'm really busy right now. You know, maybe I'll talk to him another day. You know what? They have plenty of time. And sometimes we put it off and we put it off and we keep, you know, just saying, well, you know, I'll talk to him another day and God's dealing with us. You know, you need to talk to him. You need to share my, your story with him. You need to let him know about me. You need to make the invitation to come to me. But so many times we just say, you know what, I'm just too busy. Don't got time. You know, they got plenty of time. I'll talk to him another time. Jesus speaks here in John chapter 4 and verse 35. Jesus says, you know, the saying, four months between planting and harvest He's saying that there's this saying that, you know, you plant and then, you know what, you got four months to harvest that, that you know, the, what, the seed that you planted. But Jesus says, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. He says, don't put it off. Don't wait. He says, the time is now to harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Jesus says, don't wait, don't, don't put it off, don't, don't say, hey, you know what, I got time, they got time, I'll talk to them another time. This scripture came, became so real to me. 
It's probably over 20 years ago. We were living, not where we're living now, but we were, we used to live right there where Imperial, where Target is, that neighborhood behind Target there. And we had an older couple that used to live next to us, really, really nice old couple, um, you know, real friendly, we used to talk, you know, all the time. And, you know, he'd, he'd always, you know, talk about my kids. And he used to tell me that, you know, he would work two or three jobs so, you know, he could just accumulate all this stuff. And he did. He owned property. He owned, he owned apartment complexes. He owned multi- multiple houses. And one night, it was, it was after Sunday. That's when we used to have Sunday night service. So, you know, we'd have prayer at 5, service at 6, sometimes get out here about at 8. Then we'd go home, and, you know, we'd be eating dinner about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. You know, that's just the way it was. So it was trash day. So I'm outside taking out the trash, and he's out there. And what it was, he was having some health issues and what he would do is he would sleep all day and he would stay up at night and you would just see him walking up and down the neighborhood because he said the cool air, he'd feel better in the cool air instead of being in the heat of the day. So I'm out there and I'm taking out the trash and he comes walking out and he goes, hey Bob, how's it going? And I'm like, man, I want to go hurry up and go and get, get something to eat, you know, and I'd rush in the house and go eat. But the Holy Spirit started dealing with him. He was just, just stay here and talk to him. I'm like, oh, you know, like again, I could talk to him another day, I got time. So what it is, we started talking, and he started sharing with me some things and started telling me about his health issues. And he says, you know, Bob, I'm miserable. He goes, I'm miserable. He goes, I worked two, three jobs. I can't even enjoy it now. You know, I'm always sick. My relationship with my sons ain't the greatest because I was always at work. He goes, I'm just miserable. And that right there, God gave me opportunity to begin to share with him begin to tell him about the love of Jesus Christ, begin to let him know that God loves him, God can, can touch his life. And, and ultimately, I just say, you know what? Can I pray for you? You want to ask Christ into your heart? And he says, yeah, I want to do that. So, you know, went in, ate my dinner, praise God, stuffed. About 3 o'clock in the morning, he's pounding on my door, pounding on my door, and it's his wife. And she's yelling, Bob, Bob, it's John, it's John. So I'm like, you know, stumbling out of bed, and Tina jumps up and runs out the door with her, goes into the house, and he's laying on the kitchen floor. He had already gone to be with the Lord. And Tina stayed there with her for a little while until, you know, family came and the paramedics came to take him away. So Tina was talking to her, and she said, you know what? John was telling me that Bob prayed with him tonight, that he prayed with them, and he says, you know what? I feel such a peace right now in my life. I just feel at peace right now. And that scripture became so real to me that sometimes we say, you know what, God, I'll talk to them another day. They got time. They got plenty of time. I'm just real busy. You know, Lord, I'm doing all these things. And I always thought to myself, what what if I didn't talk to them? What if I didn't share with them the gospel? I don't know a situation, but at that moment, I was able to lead them to Jesus. And he told his wife, you know what, I, I just feel at peace right now. And he went on to be with Jesus. Amen. In peace, And even his wife was comforted by that because she, when she was talking to Tina, she said, we were sitting here at the table before, we went to bed, before I went to bed, and he said, man, I just feel at peace. And she was at a peace, too, because she knew that he was able to be prayed for. I just want to talk about, because, again, we can't put it off. We got to, you know, when God deals with us, we got to just make that invitation. We got to just share our story. In the court of law, when someone's going to testify, we're talking about giving our testimony. In the court of law, when someone's, about to testify, there are those who try to intimidate the witnesses. They try to threaten them, to try to keep them silent, you know, to try to get them to change their story. And what they call this is witness intimidation. I was watching, it's it funny because I was putting this message together, and then me and Tina like watching old TV shows from, you know, the set. We watch Dick Van Dyke and, you know, all the old shows. It's a lot of garbage on TV right now. 
But we were watching Good Times. You know, if everybody remember Good Times with JJ and, you know, Michael and all them. What it was is JJ, God gave me, no, God gave me revelation when I was watching this. Just watching Good Times, they tell Tina, hey, that's a good illustration there. JJ was there and he said he witnessed an accident and, you know, he seen the crash, he watched the whole thing take place. He said, yeah, this woman crashed and hit this car or whatever. Well, there's a knock on the door and all of a sudden these three big old dudes, like, you know, six, 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 seven, you know, they come to the door, they're the local gang members. Well, it was one of the gang members' girlfriends and they're saying, you know what? They started intimidating him. He says, you're not going to tell your story, right? You're going to tell him this story that you didn't see what happened. And they're trying to scare him. They're trying to intimidate him, trying to say, hey, if you say what you saw, it's going to be bad for you. And this is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to bring fear and try to keep us from sharing our story, keep us from witnessing, keep us from trying to tell people about Jesus. The first thing he tries to bring is the fear of persecution. It's again where you talk about Jesus at work, at school, or public places. It's going to go bad for you. If you start talking about Jesus at work, they're going to fire you. You're going to get demoted. You know, you're going to get suspended. If you talk about Jesus in school, you know, the teachers are going to turn on you. All these things, and the fear of persecution comes in. Well, you know, the devil brings that fear of persecution because they're afraid, oh, if I talk about Jesus, it's going to go bad. We see Peter here, and he's, you know, in the, before the council, and they're speaking to him in Acts 5, 28. And they say to Peter, he says, we gave you strict orders to never again to teach this man's name, talking about Jesus. We told you never to talk about Jesus again, but instead you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. He says, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Peter knew Jesus told him, you are going to be my witnesses. Jesus, or Peter remembered, hey, you go out and preach the gospel. Go, you're going to be my witnesses. He says, you know what? We need to obey God other than your authority. Later in that chapter, in verse 40, he says, they called the apostles and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them again never to speak the name of Jesus and they let them go. They tried to intimidate them. Tried to tell them, look it, if you do this again, it's going to be worse for you guys. They tried to bring intimidation. And this was the response of the disciples, the apostles. Instead of being timid and fearful, say, oh, what are we going to do? We can't do this. We can't speak about his name again. It says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing. It says that they were rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And it says they didn't stop because then every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. Romans says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. These men were not ashamed of Jesus. They were not ashamed of the gospel. When the enemy tries to come in and try to bring that fear of persecution, we got to say, no, God says that he will give us power, and the Holy Ghost is with us, and we can preach, and God will give us, you know, be with us. Second thing is the fear of rejection. Again, the enemy will come in and say, you know what? They won't receive what you have to say. They're going to say, look at your past. Look at what you've done in your past, and now you're going to tell them about Jesus? You have no credibility with your family, your friends, your coworkers. They're going to mock you. They're going to turn away from you. They're going to cancel you. We see Jesus. He goes on a journey to Samaria. He's there at Jacob's well. Again, he says that Jesus is tired from a long walk, and he sat at the well. He told the disciples to go get something to eat, go get some food. And a Samaritan woman came to him, came to draw water. And Jesus told her, please give me a drink. Jesus speaks to this woman and gives, says, give me a drink. 
And this woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. There was, you know, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along, they didn't care for each other. And she responded to Jesus and said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. He begins to talk about that living water. He says, the well, the water you get from that well, you're going to continue to thirst. But the water I give springs unto eternal life. Again, they start to talk and they, they converse about a few other things. She asks questions. And, and, and then Jesus finally asks her, you know what, go and get your husband. He says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now, you're not even married to. And he says, exactly what you said. The woman said, you know what, Jesus started to tell her, look, at this is your life, this is who you are. And it says, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, that one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. In verse, chapter 4 of John, it's in verse 28. It says the woman, after the conversation she had with Jesus, she's there and it says that the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone Come see a man who told everything about myself. Could this possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Here's a woman with the troubled past. This woman probably had no credibility with the people. And here, you know, she could have easily said, well, you know, I'm just going to be silent about this. But she had an encounter with Jesus. This is an encounter that changed her life. And it says she ran back to her village, inviting him to come see a man, come meet Jesus. And the people started coming out to see him. See, the devil tries to give us the fear of, of, of rejection. We begin to tell us about our past. That You know what? You've done so much wrong in your life. You've hurt a lot of people. Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to care about what you say. And a lot of times we say, you know, we're right. And we just, we won't share our story. We won't share our testimony. This woman, again, had a troubled past. You know, it says that she had five husbands and the man she was with wasn't even her husband. Yet she ran back to the city and made the invitation to come meet Jesus. There's also the fear that you're not going to know what to say. You know, what are you going to witness to them? You don't even know what to say. When you start talking to people, they're going to embarrass you. They're going to ask you questions that you cannot answer. Jesus is here, and, and, and this is a big one, because a lot of times, even when you just get saved, you feel like, oh, I don't have nothing to say. I, you know, I don't have really nothing to share. Pastor Dan talked about that growing up in church. That a lot of times, the, lie, the devil lies and says, well, you don't have a testimony. You were raised in church, but yes, you do. You do have a testimony. You do have something to say. Jesus is here, and, and, and he's speaking to the disciples, and he's telling them, before all this occurs, there will be a great time of persecution. You'll be dragged in the synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings. The governors, because you are my followers, but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. When they begin to bring you in and, bring you, and make you stand before the people, this is going to be your opportunity to speak about me. And a lot of times they go, oh, but I don't know what to say, Lord. Jesus says, don't worry in advance about what to answer the charges against you. He says, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. In Luke 12, 1, I'm sorry, 12, 11, again, he says, it's pretty much the same thing. He says, and when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what time 
what needs to be said at that time, what needs to be said. Again, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to speak. Because a lot of times the devil will come in and try to intimidate us and say, you, just, you don't know what you're talking about, but the Holy Spirit will come in. Again, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 17. But, before, be, but beware, for, for, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. Doesn't that sound like fun? You'll stand trial before the governors and kings for you are, because you are my followers. We're going to face opposition because we're followers of Christ. But this will be, again, this is your opportunity to tell rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who is speaking. It's not you who is speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. And then lastly, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the members of the council were amazed that Peter and John were ministering. And it says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. A lot of times this is what we get intimidated by. is that, man, I don't know the Bible, you know, Genesis to Revelation. And they begin to feel intimidated but he says that these men were no special, uh, were, there's no special training in scriptures. He says, but they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter and John, again, were full of the Holy Ghost. They spoke with boldness. God gave them the words to speak. They weren't scholars. They weren't educated. But he says, but they were men who were with Jesus. The Holy Spirit's going to help us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will bring all things to remembrance. There's times where we're witnessing where the, you know, where the Holy Spirit begins to give us just the perfect words to say. And it's like after you're done talking to somebody or praying with somebody, he's like, wow, where did that come from? That was the Holy Spirit that was helping you. It was giving you that confidence, that boldness to speak these things. And ultimately, it's to make that invitation to Christ. I remember before I got saved, I had a cousin that got saved, my cousin Glenda. And she would witness to us and, and tell us about Jesus. My wife, Tina, she, she was, when a young girl, she used to go to church. She was actually a missionette when she was a young girl, you know, a teenager. Well, Sister Tina was a missionette, praise God, back in, back in the 90s, maybe. <laughs> but she got saved, and then my mom got saved. And my mom, she tells me the story of how she got saved is, she had, they call him comadre. I don't know how you say comadre in English. Her, 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 her partner in crime, I guess. She got saved and she would invite my mom to this Bible study and keep inviting her. My mom's like, oh God, she keeps inviting me, keeps telling me about Jesus. So my mom says, you know what, I'm just gonna go. So she'll stop asking me to go. So I can say, I went, you know, I tried it. But my mom says she went to that Bible study and God touched her that night. She got touched, she got saved. She gave her life to Jesus. Her and my wife were saved. Then my dad gets saved, and my dad is given, gave his life to Jesus, and he didn't, like it says, it says these were men that weren't, you know, trained in the scripture. My dad had just gotten saved. He was a new convert. He had just given his life to Jesus, but he came to me. He says, Bobby, it's real. It's real. Give Jesus a chance. He didn't quote scripture to me. He didn't tell me, you know, this and that. All he told me was, Jesus is real. And it really touched me. And then through my wife's prayers and all that, I ended up getting saved a short time after that. But I always remember that sometimes the devil tries to intimidate us and say, you know, you have nothing to say. 
And sometimes it's just simply saying, Jesus is real. Jesus changed my life. You know what, I was lost, I was bound, I was messed up, and Jesus came in and changed my life, and he could do the same for you. You don't have to be quoting scripture and giving a four-point sermon to somebody. Just tell them what Jesus did in your life and make the invitation. That's because the devil tries to intimidate us and try to keep us from sharing our story, from making that invitation to Jesus. Next thing I want to talk about is the next generation. As we grow older and our next generation continues the work of Jesus Christ, if they're going to truly change the world, it's so important that they know how to witness, that they know how to testify, that they know how to give the invitation to know Jesus personally. I'm not talking about handing someone the flyer and say, hey, come to our church. Yes, that's good, but it's more than just handing somebody a flyer. We need to make sure that they can talk to someone one-on-one and, one -on -one and share the love of Jesus Christ and that they know how to make that invitation and how to lead someone to Jesus it's so important, if we're going to see the church continue to grow, we got to make sure our next generation knows how to witness, knows how to testify, knows how to lead someone to Jesus. Jesus said, make disciples, and it starts with our own homes. He says, teach these new disciples. There's a story, I'm sure many of you heard it a hundred times, of a man who was asked about what kept him serving God for so many years. The answer he gave is that he was drugged when he was young. People were shocked, oh my God, you were drugged? He goes, yeah, my parents drugged me to church. They drugged me to Bible study. They drugged me to youth group. They drugged me to you know, conferences. They drugged me to outreaches. See, our children will learn how to witness, how to testify, how to give that invitation, how to lead someone to Jesus when they see us doing it. When they're there with us and they see us praying for someone, leading someone to Jesus, you know, witnessing to someone, sharing our testimony with someone, they're gonna see that and they're gonna learn how to do the same thing. There's a story uh, I wanted to share. It just came to me when I was, when I was doing this. And we were, in the, we were in the valley. We were having a big outreach one night. We were in the Pacoima Projects. We were having a play and a band and all that. And we were trying to figure out, oh, my son, I think Bobby was about 12, 13 years old at the time. And we were getting ready. Everybody setting up, and, you know, people were passing out flyers. <clears throat> so I told my son, Bobby, come on. And there was another brother, brand-new brother to the church, really nice guy, good guy, um, went into gangs, drugs, and that. He was just a really nice guy. I said, come on, let's go. So I went, what I did is I went to the very backside of the, of the projects. And man, when we got there, it was just crazy. I mean, guys were, it was just, it was weird. It was just craziness. It was madness. It was almost demonic. And guys were just running in and out of this apartment. It was the homeboys in that area. They're running out of this apartment building. And then right there, they just start jumping, I guess, one of their own. They're just and they weren't jumping them in. They were, they were jumping them good. And I'm like, oh, praise God. You know, I'm going to go save them all. I'm not saving them all, but I'm going to go win them all to Jesus. So I tell my son and the brother, I said, stay right here. Because it was maybe to right over here. So I start walking over there, you know, and they're beating up this guy. And there's one guy a little bit in front of me, almost like the lookout. And he turns around and he sees me. And hey, you know, and he goes, not now. And he, man, just like red eyes. Like, wait, man, I'm just going to. And he, not now like that. And, I, and so, I started, so I started pulling the old uh, cross in the switchblade. You can cut me into a hundred pieces and every one of them will tell you Jesus loves you. You know, I was getting ready to pull that, you know. But he goes, not now. And there, it, was, it was pretty crazy. So I'm not going to go in there and try to, you know. So I, I said, here, just take this flyer. So he just grabbed it from me. All right. So I turn around and my son Bobby's standing right behind me. I mean, he's just like right there. And he's just like, oh. 
oh, like, this is the greatest thing ever. He's, like, so fired up. I mean, he sprung. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. He's like, you know, he got his street cred that night, man. He was official street preacher that night, man. He was like, man, he was so fired up after that. And I turn around, and the brother behind us, his eyes were like this, you know, like, oh, my God. What have you brought me to? So we're walking back, and my son tells me, he goes, hey, you know he ain't going to come back. And I go, I know. <laughs> he probably won't. He did it. I really believe taking our kids with us while we're ministering to people, and it, was always, it wasn't always, always like that. It wasn't like nights. Like every night we went out to the outreach, it was chaos. There was nights where we would be out in the streets, and there were people we'd come across that were just hurting, broken, you know, just lost, you know, just without hope. And we'd take our sons with us, you know. We'd go out there in the streets, and, and we'd just minister to people, and, and we would pray with people. We'd lead them to Jesus, you know. We'd give them the invitation, and just, you know, ask, ask them to ask Jesus in their lives. And even if they did or didn't, and we'd just say, can we just pray with you? And it's okay. Because everybody's, you know, everybody's cool with getting prayed with. A lot of times they say, well, I won't accept Jesus, but can I just pray with you? And I remember just being there with our sons, and they would see this. And I really believe that did something in them. It first taught them, you know, about witnessing how to share. But also, I just see the compassion they have for people in their lives now as they're adults. I see how generous they are with people. And I really think that started with us being out there, seeing us witnessing, sharing, loving people. And again, if our next generation is going to carry on what we're, what we're doing, they're going to have to know how to witness, how to testify, how to lead people to Jesus. Next thing is we want to look at the fruit of it. It says, while in Thessalonica, Paul was proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ in the synagogues of the Jews. And some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and a few of the leading women. So a lot of people were getting saved as, as Paul was there proclaiming Jesus in, 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 the, in the synagogues. He says, but the Jews became jealous, got some of the wicked men to form a mob, start a riot. And, you know, and they, they, they were looking for Paul, and they went into the house of a man named Jason looking for Paul. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, and when they could not find them, it says they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. As you read the book of Acts, after Jesus told them that you would re be receive power, you would be my witnesses, after Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, as Jesus told them, you, you go and make disciples, as you read the book of Acts, you can see the numbers of souls that were getting saved. The day of Pentecost, where over 3,000 souls got saved. It talks about how they were meeting in houses, and they would go from house to house, and they would preach and minister to the people, and it says that the numbers of people getting saved were just increasing, increasing. They were definitely turning the world upside down. These men were changing the world. Why? Because they were proclaiming Jesus. They were testifying. They were taking what Jesus commanded them when he says, go preach the gospel, go make disciples, go be a witness. And they took that and ran with it. When the devil came and tried to intimidate them and keep them from preaching and bring persecution, they said, no, we're going to listen to God rather than you. And they continued to do the work that God called them to do. And you see the fruit of it. We go back to the story of the woman at the well. When she says, come and see a man who told me everything about my life. When she went out and told him and invited him out, I said that many came and rushed out. In John chapter 4 and verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, 
He had told me everything I did. Again, this is a woman that probably had no credibility, a woman that had a troubled past, but it says uh, many of them came to Jesus because she invited them. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he said that he stayed two days long, two days longer, enough for more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you, what you told us, but because we have heard ourselves, <clears throat> now we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. It was her invitation that brought them out. And it says that many people from that village came to Jesus because she just said, come see a man who told me about myself. You know who I am. You know what I've done. But I've met a man named Jesus. And he just told me about myself and he's changed my life and he could do the same for you. One thing when... I look mostly at invitation for salvation, but there are going to be opportunities to, for the invitation to pray for people, to pray for healing, pray for strength, pray for encouragement, provision, because it all leads back to Jesus. We come across brothers and sisters, and we're just going to say, hey, you know what? Can I pray for you? Jesus says, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And it's that invitation again that leads back to Jesus. Hey, can I pray with you that God would get involved in your situation? That God would strengthen you, that God would encourage you, that God would bring provision in your life, that God would bring healing, that God would save your loved ones. There's that invitation also to lead people back to Jesus through prayer and laying hands on them. Again, tonight, we are called to change the world. We are called to, 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 to let people know, as Pastor Dan started with our testimony, our story, that we're able to let them know that God is real, that Jesus is real, that Jesus can do miracles in their life and give them the invitation to say, you know what? Would you like to ask Jesus into your life? Let our invitation change the world. Let's bow our heads tonight.